Hey everyone, welcome to the 1% Different Show with me, your host, Jason S. Bradshaw. The 1% Different Show is here for you to help you stand out and succeed. A 1% extra focus on customer experience, employee experience, brand experience, or product experience. Your business or your life is all the difference it takes. Joining us today is Dr. Emmanuel Prost. Emmanuel combines over 16 years of market research and marketing experience with strong academic achievement. His work has seen him consult with numerous Fortune 500 companies, and he also teaches consumer marketing market research at UCLA. He is also the author of the and number one of the number one best-selling book, Brand Hacks: How to Build Brands by Fulfilling Consumer. Uh, by fulfilling fulfilling consumer quest for meaning. I'll just say that again, actually. He is also the author of the number one best-selling book, Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Consumer Quest for Meaning. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. So, Emmanuel, can you share with the audience some of your background that got you to the point of writing the new book? Yeah, I started in market research a long time ago. I lived in the, U in the UK at the time. And uh, ever since, I've been helping clients building brands and growing brands. And uh, throughout the last 20 years, I attended many conferences and read a lot of books and publications. And the reason why I wrote this book is because I thought something was missing whereby we have a lot of great marketing books and I attended a lot of excellent conferences with good content. The shortcoming is most of this content starts from the standpoint of a marketer and how can marketers push down the thought of consumers, more brands, more products. And here with this book, I wanted to take a step back and Forget about the brands for a second. Forget about the products for a second, the advertising, the marketing, and really focus on what do people want to achieve and people seek meaning, not brands, not advertising. So uh, what's different about this book is we start from the standpoint of a consumer. We understand those meanings, what is fulfilling and meaningful to people. And from there, we start building brands and products that help fulfill these meanings. In that way, it's a slightly different angle. Yeah, it's a, it's a refreshing approach to, to branding. Uh, we'll get into the book in a moment, but of course, the last 18 months has been anything but normal for organizations. And I'm wondering what's your take on how COVID has changed the way that we build brands. Thank you, Jason. After COVID, meaning is even more so important. And here's why this pandemic, everyone had to press the reset button, if you will. None of us in our lifetime had experienced anything like this. And we refocused on what's most important to us, meaning comfort, coziness, safety, security, happiness at home, connections with others around us, authenticity, vulnerability. All these are key meanings that were relevant before COVID and are even more so relevant now after as we are hopefully, <laughs> hopefully um, walking out of this pandemic, if you will. 
Yes, let, let's hope that uh, we're at the tail end of the pandemic. It, the book uh, uh, covers off three sections, uh, quest for personal meaning, the quest for social meaning, quest for cultural meaning. Can you walk us through briefly the difference between those three, uh, three different meanings there? Yeah, personal meaning is what you do for yourself. Who am I and who do I want to become? That's your personal identity project. That is what personal meaning is about. So an example of a brand that does well in the United States fulfilling personal meaning is Equinox, the health clubs, whereby the advertisement is about commit to something. It's about Equinox made me do it. It's about becoming a better you. So that's the, the personal meaning. Social meaning is about the social interactions, the language we use and the words, the brands, the products we use to interact with the people around us. That's what social meaning is about. And then cultural meaning, it has to do with your beliefs, with your culture, with the arts. And a brand that does well here, I will say Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb does not sell hotel rooms. That's fine. Marriott already has to, about 12,000 hotel rooms right around the world. The last thing we needed was more hotel rooms. What Airbnb sells is a discovery, an adventure, a way for you as a guest to connect with local culture, with the local neighborhood. In that regard, that's a brand that helps fill cultural meaning. Right. And, you know, it'd be remiss of me not to ask the million dollar question. What do we mean when we say brand? Oh, I think that's more of a multi-billion dollar question, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> um, you know, a brand is what your audience say it is. That's not what you, that's a great question because that is one more illustration of how marketers are bubbled and we tend to talk to ourselves and people like ourselves and we read marketing publications. What you as a marketer, no matter how senior or junior you are, what you think your brand is, is fine, it's relevant. Uh, what's most important is what do they say it is? And one of the concepts that I develop in the book is perception is the truth. So as a marketer, you know more about your brand, your product than anyone out there. Uh, and you probably know about its true capabilities and that's fine. What's most important is how does your audience perceive this? And that's what I mean by perception is the truth. And that's what I mean when I say a brand is what your audience say it is. So how do we make sure that marketers, uh, business leaders don't fall into the trap of believing their own hype, that they actually get an understanding of what this what the real perception is of their brand? Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, about being curious. It's about challenging yourself, read different, pod uh, listen to different podcasts and read different publications. Um, get out of your comfort zone and don't, I read many marketing publications, of course, and uh, they help a lot, but take a walk, look at the world around you and try to talk with the shopkeeper, the barista, the coffee shop, someone at a flower shop, for example, a startup entrepreneur developing a new business. I will say one of the many mistakes we we make and not so much a mistake but as marketers we tend to focus on the big brands yeah 
uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, what Airbnb does and Marriott and see, I quote those brands myself, by all means, they're interesting and important. The truth though, is very few people out there have the marketing dollars to match what these brands do. So try to find some good ideas from the personal trainer next door or from Etsy or eBay merchants, see what they do. And uh, keep also in mind that these people, those small merchants are closer to their customers than anyone else usually. That's a key starting point. Yeah, so you know, for the audience member that does work for that, that large corporate, that large enterprise, your, your number one hint I'm hearing is get closer to your customer. 100%. And too much data kills the insights. Here's what I mean. We have access to more data than ever before. You can look at clickstream and advertising impressions. And of course, a lot of sales data and loyalty data. And all this again is relevant. However, Think of the power of qualitative data, of anecdotes, of uh, verbatims from consumers, from surveys. Do not obsess with big data sets and AI and statistical significance. All these concepts are valuable, but limited to a few players that have the manpower and the marketing dollars to process this information. Think of what is the story? What is the meaning? And that can be sketched out at the back of a napkin. Doesn't need advanced analytics. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy for us to get distracted by data uh, and not necessarily helped by it at times. If we can jump into chapter one of the book, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. Um, I have to say, when I was uh, in this chapter, uh, it was like you smacked me across the face when when I first started reading it. You know, because you start with the more connected we are, the lonelier we feel. It doesn't feel very happy to me. Uh, do you want? Do you want to? What is the pursuit of happiness? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, you're you're right to say. I think it's an insightful chapter, but not necessarily the most uplifting. <laughs> and the starting point is to say, as you as you suggested, Jason, the more connected we are, the lonelier we feel. And here's why. We check our phones up to 83 times a day. We post about 42, 43,000 pictures on Instagram every day. We're constantly connected and exposed to marketing, use many messaging apps and social media platforms. At the end of the day, all this is very isolating, believe it or not. And we see this in statistics whereby younger generations millennials and gen z most of them cannot relate to one or two best friends in the physical world very sadly the rate of um, mental health issues and very sadly people ending their lives is the highest it has ever been in those demographic brackets so hence the statement the more connected we are the lonelier we feel there is a anecdote in the book about a young girl on Instagram with, of course, uh, plenty of followers, right? And one day she posts a picture and says, I live alone in a forest of likes. I live alone in a forest of likes, which I thought was an interesting statement. Mm, very insightful and, and gets to that uh, human element of, of the world that we live in. So do you think brands have a 
place in creating happiness, creating connection? Yeah, and I link back to your question. You asked me, what is a happiness and the pursuit of happiness? And that's about joy, comfort, coziness. Um, those most fundamental meanings that are way more important than how many likes did you get on your last social media post. So that is why Etsy.com is doing so well, as an example. That's because the last thing you need is just another coffee mug. Uh, and Etsy is doing well because people go to the platform to buy that coffee mug that's going to feel authentic, true, that is going to reflect your personality, that is not going to be perfect, that is going to be a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the designer or the artisan who created the, uh, the cup. And uh, that's what brands can do. They can help convey this meaning of authenticity, comfort, and coziness. Etsy is one of the many examples that you can think of. So, of course, Etsy is a marketplace of solopreneurs, um, mum and dads, individuals being creative and, and for fulfilling people's desires in that authentic way. But can a large company like a Coca-Cola or Apple or Marriott, can they be authentic? They can, although it's important to point that not all brands need to tick all the box, boxes, meaning we cover 10 meaning, meanings in the book. And that's not to say that all brands can adopt all 10 meanings. So... By the way, Coca-Cola, interesting is has interestingly has a dimension of authenticity because of the history of a brand. But to your point, that is not necessarily where those brands should differentiate. Maybe mm -hmm. right. And uh, and you said you know you pointed out to us that there's ten different meanings covered off in the book. Um, the pursuit of happiness is is just the the first one uh, within section one. Uh, let's uh, let's give the audience an example out of each of the sections. So we'll we'll jump into section two now, um, and uh, I love the title of this. We all like a good story. Well, it's true we do, but how does that play out for a brand? Yeah, well, that's the power of Instagram. I think that's uh, a good example. We all like a good story whereby we relate to images. And again, what's very interesting with younger users call them millennials, Gen Z, and what have you, is they are digital natives, whereby they have this, what we call visual literacy, this culture of visualizing things and interpreting the pictures they see. So what does this mean for brands? Well, to create posts, pictures that feel authentic, relatable, and at the same time, very appealing visually. And one way to do this is to use a very old technology that is neon. And neon is 100 years old, and it's a very, very basic. It's glass, gas, electricity, right? It's way more basic than all those LED panels we have now and those fantastic curved screens that we have on our desks. Yet, it's very relevant because it conveys a feeling of nostalgia. It takes you back to a time when things were uh, simpler, when we didn't have a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Also, from a technical standpoint, neon 
shines like nothing else. It's very, very bright. An LED display cannot replicate the brightness of neon. So a tip for brands is to use neon in their marketing, to use neon in their displays. And many small brands do this, but also large brands or large brands that want to, to look small. A large brand example would be Nike. They use neon in their um, stores to illustrate their windows. An example of a large brand that wants to be small would be Kiehl's Cosmetics and they use neon all over their stores. There are many other examples. A small brand would be Milk Bar in the United States. That is a small chain of uh, a bakery, we call it ice cream sundaes, donuts type of. So um, uh, the, the it's more than just the words of the story. It's the visual appearance that connects the words to the story or, or creates a story in itself. It is, is that what I'm understanding? You're understanding correctly. I think it also depends what audience you're going after. What you want is consistency. Uh, your older age groups are going to be more willing to read content. Your younger age groups are like more likely to engage, at least as a starting point, with visual content and then read or listen to uh, well, read text or, or listen to, to words, if you will. So that uh, raises an interesting point. You know, co companies of all sizes have to continually, you know, walk that fine line between uh, keeping their, you know, loyal, uh, aging customers engaged in a brand, but also keeping the brand relevant for the next wave of consumers, the younger audiences coming through. How, how does story help organizations continue to evolve and stay relevant to those different segments? Well, uh, an interesting example of a brand that is transforming as we speak is Tiffany's. Mm. It's a legacy brand and with a strong foundation is uh, acting and movies like Breakfast at Tiffany's and Audrey Hepburn and the likes. And for um, dozens of years, it has been a destination for engagement rings in the US. The limitation being that none of your young customers even know this movie or have seen this movie, Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Those references are too dated. All the actors have passed by now. So there was a need for the new owner, LVMH, to refresh this brand. And they took this risk, this creative risk, of moving the advertising to uh, more authentic models, if you will, with no discrimination on um, age and gender and gender orientation and ethnic backgrounds with a messaging that is a lot more disruptive, if you will, the tagline uh, doesn't come back to mind, but messaging that is a lot more disruptive. The point being, at the end of the day, is you keep the foundation of the brand, what's important, that is the Tiffany blue, that um, color that is so uh, specific for, for Tiffany. And at the same time, you message the brand to a younger audience so that you can renew your clientele, if you will. 
So there's a risk to take here. And of course, it's going to come across as offensive for a few older brand loyalists. Although at the end of the day, your opportunity in the future is towards those younger audience groups, not so much with the people who are in their 80s now. Right, right. And I think that's a great example of a brand that has endured uh, that transition and, and endured time uh, in, in making sure that they stay relevant. Now, uh, in the final section of the book, section three, Quest for Cultural Meaning, you share two separate meanings there. Um, we'll, we'll look at chapter 10. We are all artists and collectors. Can you talk us through that? Yes. We're going back to visual literacy, which is a very impressive skills whereby social media platforms and camera phones have trained us to shoot fantastic pictures, to use filters, to um, use emojis and to create collages and to augment the value and the visual appeal of those filters. If you think about it, many of the features we use on our phones with two, three, four clicks were as of four or five years ago, the exclusivity of professional photographers and studios using Photoshop. So the technology in that regard has made all of us artists and collectors because we take and keep more and more pictures, right? This really defies Moore's law. And what I mean by this is, um, the pace at which we are taking and storing pictures is just outpacing any technological advancement that we have seen in the past. What I mean by this is if you have 10,000 pictures stored on your mobile phone or in your cloud for the last 10 years, chances are out of 10,000, 2,000 pictures you took last year and maybe 1,500 pictures the year before and the other 7,000 uh, for the eight years prior. So I just mean here to demonstrate how uh, our collection of pictures, of videos, of snippets, of TikToks just accelerates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, brands have a part to play in, in creating those memories and, and being part of the photo, right? they have a role to play in both creating yeah. those memories as a brand owned creative execution and being part of the stories whereby we want to seed brands in those creatives although we want those brands to be relevant to the story and not just a mere product placement mm. yeah yeah an authentic part of the story absolutely so uh, as i've said in the book there are 10 different meanings that you share with us and each of these will help brands of all sizes grow of course uh, and to be more connected with their customers one thing that we haven't talked about though emmanuel is what a brand isn't so is a brand a logo is a what isn't a brand when, when you talk brand what aren't we talking about the brand is a collection of attributes and that's going to be a logo, that's going to be a color, a font, a ringtone, a um, sound as a signature. It can be also an experience. It can be haptics, that is 
a sense of touch. A brand is all this. A brand isn't something that it isn't. Let me explain. Corporate social responsibility and brand purpose is a good example here. Too many brands are trying to be someone they're not. Sometimes brand purpose is believable. If you look at REI, Patagonia, National Geographic, they have uh, a believable standpoint. Uh, too many other brands try to jump on that bandwagon of creating a tagline and a mission statement, and it just doesn't ring true for consumers. That is what a brand isn't. Sometimes a brand is here to deliver a great product at a fair price with great customer service, and that's just fine. Not everyone is in charge of saving the world, right? Mm. Uh, and I don't think consumers in their right mind, as much as they expect brands to be attuned with culture, engaged in the social debate, and so on and so forth, I don't think consumers expect brands to um, solve all the world's problems. And it comes back to that authenticity piece again, I think. You, uh, you can't be the world's largest oil producer and, and also say that you're going to solve uh, the world's environmental problems, right? <laughs> you have to be authentic. So the book, The Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Consumer Quest for Meaning, uh, available everywhere great books are sold. And certainly there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, but Emmanuel, if uh, people are listening today or watching uh, on the site uh, and they're wanting to follow your work, how's the best way to continue the conversation with you and, and stay connected? Yeah, thank you, Jason. I'm very active on LinkedIn and I'm simply under my, my real name, if you will, <laughs> which is Emmanuel Probst. And people can also visit my website, which is emmanuelprobst.com, all in one world, or find many of my publications for those of you who might be practitioners in marketing and in market research on ipsos.com. Uh, you'll find many of my publications about brand purpose, about consumer journey, about many other aspects that practitioners worry about these days. Fantastic. And we'll make sure that there's links in the show notes to uh, each of those sites to help our audience members connect with you. Now, before we get into uh, the bonus section uh, for the podcast, I have one last question, Emmanuel. What's one thing that excites you about your work in branding at the moment? Well, what excites me is to see how a brand like Tiffany is transforming. What excites me in um, guiding brands and creating brand strategies is it is very humbling because a brand can be at the top of its game for a few years and then disappear. What excites me is to constantly start fresh and make sure that the brand is relevant, stays relevant and becomes even more so relevant. Fantastic, fantastic. So in the bonus section, which of course is available exclusively to members free of charge, we're going to explore with Emmanuel the three ways that a brand can continue to be relevant, how it can be relevant for today while reinventing for tomorrow. Thanks again to listening to this edition of 1% Difference, the show designed to help you build a habit of continuous improvement and standing out from the crowd. I hope to see you in the members area. Mm -hmm.